The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Amen, church. That is who we serve. And we have a firm foundation that is our God. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He never let me down. He's faithful through generations. So I
Good morning, everybody. How are y'all today? Well, I uh, I do a lot of reading now. I wasn't much of a reader growing up, but the older I get, the more I try to read. And I usually bring something that I've been reading for you and uh, what I've been thinking about. Um, and the, that's the case again today. Um, I would like for us for us to start out. I'd like for us to look at a scripture in the Old Testament real quick. And uh, if you've got your Bible or your app. 
If you'd look up Hezekiah chapter 4, verse 12, we'll talk about that. Now, I paused there for a second because I wanted to see how that went. Some of you in the room knew there is no Hezekiah in the Bible. (laughs) Some of you thought, maybe there's a Hezekiah, and I just forgot and went looking for it. And some of you just believe me, and that's your fault. That's that's on you. So um, I, I say that because... We say here all the time, we are a Bible-believing, Bible-using church. And I believe that about this place. But what I'm going to bring you today is going to kind of put that in a whole different perspective, maybe. Um, and i got to have a little confession first. I came up with five or six names that I was going to hit you with rather than Hezekiah. And went and looked, and all five or six of them were books of the Old Testament. So <laughs> that didn't work out too well. So this message is just as much for me as it is anybody in the room. Um, when we were kids in Sunday school, we knew songs that made us memorize all the books of the Bible. Maybe we ought to go back to that. I don't know. Maybe we make that part of our music time. I don't know. But um, now we don't, we don't do so well. And, I, and my memory, I'm senior citizen now, so my memory is not what it used to be, but... Um, I've been reading some stuff, and I've always enjoyed this author. His name is Malcolm Gladwell. And if you study success and how the brain works and things like that, he's really famous in that arena. Um, very smart man, uh, has a lot of good ideas. One of his books called Outliers has a chapter called 10,000 Hours, the 10,000-hour rule. And to boil it down to simple terms, the 10,000-hour rule is this. If you invest 10,000 hours into practice at something, you will master that thing. Um, The study goes into a whole lot of different areas. started out in child hockey in Canada. And they came to find out that kids born in January, February, and March, that's the beginning of that league cycle, were much more successful than kids born the rest of the year. And it turns out the more they studied, the more they found out that those kids had more time to practice. So they were better than the others, so they got chose for all-star teams, and they got chose for traveling teams, and they got chose for all these other ways to put in more hours. And the study showed that had they had a league for kids for the first six months and the league for kids the second six months, Canada would have twice as many professional hockey players to choose from. It's kind of an interesting concept. It talks a lot about in the book about uh, some of the computer geniuses of our era with Gates and Bill Joy and Steve Jobs, some of those guys. All of those guys had opportunities to be in computer labs in their teens for hours on end, hours and hours and hours. And they put in those 10,000 hours by the time they were 20 years old, all three of them. And so you... You start to study some things and you realize it's really not so much the skill or the talent you're given as it is the time you invest in it. The one one part of the study I wanted to talk about is in the 1990s in the Berlin Academy of Music, they took all the violin kids. I know you all all thought I was going to go with the computer thing, but shocked you on that one. And they split them into three groups. The top group was the ones that are going to be virtuosos, play in front of crowds, stadiums, sell out, those kind of things. The middle group were the ones that will be in the orchestra, 
But they'll be third, fourth chair, something like that. But they'll probably play professionally. And the last group was ones that just love to play the violin. They might become music teachers or teach lessons on the side, those kind of things. And they got to study in these three groups as they were growing up. Most all of them started at about age five. And most of them studied three to five hours or practiced three to five hours a week. Nearly everybody in all three groups did that. But as we look at them as they get older, by the time they were eight years old, the top group were practicing six or seven hours a week. As they get older, they continue to build on that. By age 20, they're practicing 30 to 40 hours a week. And the other groups aren't practicing quite as much. By the time they were in their early 20s, that top group had 10,000 hours of practice. The middle group had about 8,000 hours of practice. It was still pretty good. The bottom group had about 4,000 hours of practice. And the more they studied, it was not the innate ability they were given, but the time they invested in their craft. Now, you may ask, why in the devil is he talking about all that stuff? Well, we say we're a Bible-believing, Bible-using church. I wanted to give you a couple of statistics. If your one hour a week in church is all the Bible you're studying... It's going to take you 127 years to get your 10,000 hours. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not planning on being here that long. (laughs) I don't have that kind of time. I'm not sure I have the next example either, but if you do one hour a day, it's going to take you 27 years to get to that mastery level of God's Word. So we need to focus a little bit differently maybe on saying we're a Bible-believing church or Bible-using church and maybe put some more time and investment into what we do. Um, I think we'll see the fruits of that. I think this, we do see the fruits of that in this congregation, and I love it. Um, but I just wanted us to think a little differently about our time spending in the Bible. So as we pray today, I'd like to commit that we say we're going to commit time to our study and master God's Word, and I think we'll see a lot of amazing change. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you help me and us to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help us to give to others. Be kind to everyone that we meet. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you... Help me love the lost and proclaim your son and plant those seeds, Donnie, in the lives of others, proclaiming Christ in all that I do and I say. Amen. Go ahead, giggle. If you're a fan of Mandalorian, that font is called Mandalore. And if you don't know what that is, just ignore that part and we'll we'll go right along. Uh, I thought Wayne did a fantastic job. But I want to talk about how did they do that? How did the church start from these 12 guys and spread so far? Some estimates say within the first 50 years that it had gone over 2,000 miles. How? How in the world did that happen? Now, of course, you're going to say, well, the Lord is the answer. Okay, I'll give you that. That's kind of base. But these guys are illiterate. They had no power. They had no authority. They had... They had nothing. They didn't have internet, phone, email. They didn't have snail mail. They didn't have communication at all. How did they go viral before viral was a thing? 
I want to look at that for the next few weeks. Because I believe the first church impacted the world for one way, by one way, telling people about Jesus. We're starting a new series called This Is The Way. Yes, we're playing off of the Mandalorian thing. Uh, We're going to look for the next five weeks at the first few chapters of the book of Acts. Not the whole book. We're not going to look at Paul or missionary journeys. I just want to look at how this church got started. And I want to see what they did because the church was never a building. They met in homes. They were just groups of people. They didn't have textbooks. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have worship orders. They, they just talked about Jesus in Acts chapter nine. They started calling them the way that's what the group was called was the way it's in Acts nine in Acts chapter 11. They're first called Christians at Antioch. Christians, but it was actually a derogatory term. It was like, you Christians, you followers of that Jesus guy. And they went, oh, cool, we'll take it. And and they stuck. How did that happen? Uh, Dutch philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, if passion is eliminated, faith no longer exists. Listen real close. I want you to hear that. If passion is eliminated, faith no longer exists. I want us to look at that. These people were passionate about telling people about him. They talked about him. Can we learn from them? And can we be passionate about him too? Join me if you would in Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in Acts 1 and 2 today. If you have your Bibles, your apps, whatever you want. If you're online or on the radio, thanks for joining us at Central Christian Church. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read just a few verses from the New Living Translation. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, this is Luke writing, by the way, uh, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he walked and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, don't do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you don't get anything else out of this series, I want you to get this statement. That Jesus entrusted the greatest movement of culture in the history of life to a bunch of ordinary people. To a bunch of regular, ordinary, untrained, somewhat illiterate people. Do you realize it's a miracle that we even know anything about Jesus? All this happened almost 8,000 miles from here in a a culture 2000 years ago, he was a traveling preacher with no money and no home. He based out of, uh, Capernaum and somewhat, I mean, he was called Jesus of Nazareth, but mainly out of Capernaum in the North part of the sea of Galilee. Most of us never visit that. He had no influence. He had no authority. Now you and I know he had the authority of God on him, but he had no earthly, he wasn't like a Roman leader or anything like that. He wandered from village to village talking about the end of the world. Friends, if we're going to be people of the word, if we're going to be Bible believing and Bible using, we need to know how that happened, how it it did, and, and how they did it. So let me ask you, how would you do it? I most know that 
I'm a fan of marketing. Uh, marketing, by definition, is the promotion of goods and services. I like promotion. I think it's fun. I, I dig that. How would you promote Jesus? I mean, how would you do it? If promotion is the purpose is to get people interested in your product, whatever your product is, and we have the greatest product known to mankind, right? How would you get somebody interested? In our culture, in postmodernism, in the 21st century, in America, it might be easy to say, well, let's build a church. Let's start a church. Okay, well, then we need to get a preacher. We need to get somebody that can speak and, and understand it. We need, to get, we need to get some musicians, get some good musicians so we can build it up and everybody can work together. We need to get a place, get the lights and the tech and all that stuff. And then we need to get some programs because we've got to have programs to keep all those people in, involved. That's how you would build it. How did they build it? How did they build the church? Look close in verse 4. In verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. They looked and they waited for the Holy Spirit. Jesus proved he was alive. He proved his teachings were true. Now, in this little passage, it said he was with them for about 40 days, right? Don't you think there was some reteaching in that 40 days? Don't you think there was some discussion of some of those things? Like, now you remember when I told you the parable about this, you know, and they all went, oh, I get it now. Oh, that makes sense. You know, when I told you to tear down the, the temple and rebuild it in three days, I wasn't talking about the building. And that makes sense now. Don't you think there was some of that clarification? They were getting it. They were understanding it. And he proved his teachings were real. And then he said, dad is sending a helper. It's part of us. It's part of me. I'm going to live inside of you. You need to wait here and wait for this promise. Now there's a ton of other good stuff that happens in chapter one, but I want you to jump ahead, jump ahead to next, to the next chapter in chapter two, because I really want to get into this Pentecost thing. Okay. Read with me a little bit in chapter two and, and then keep your Bible open. Cause I'm going to reference some of this stuff. Uh, chapter two, verse one, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, hold, pause right there, but keep that Bible open, because we want to talk about Pentecost. If you've been in church any amount of time, you know Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. That's what you're going to talk about, and the tongues of fire, and speaking in tongues, and all that stuff. But what was, what was Pentecost before Holy Spirit came? Well, it is actually a high holy day on the Jewish calendar. It's the festival of weeks. It's pronounced Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. Good job. You spoke in Hebrew this morning. All right, right there. Um, it means Pente 50, 50 days, 49 days in a day, uh, seven weeks in one day. That's what happened. It came after the Passover. Now, the Passover 
we remember that's Easter for us. Passover was celebrating when the death angel passed over the Israelites when they were in bondage in Egypt. And remember the next day, Pharaoh's all, fine, get out of here. And then they run off. So 50 days after the death angel passed over, they're out in the, they've gone through the Red Sea and the Red Sea's closed up and swallowed up all the Egyptians. And they're wandering around out there. They're mad and they're hungry. And then there's manna. Well, 50 days after that, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he gets the law. Pentecost is a celebration of the law. And the law was given to show people you can have a relationship with God. If you, if you walk this way and you do these sacrifices, you can be in relationship with God. Why then would Jesus choose of all the days on the calendar this day to, to witness the pouring out of his Holy Spirit? Maybe it's divine speech from divine fire. And in the law, in the Old Testament, when they were wandering in the desert, a pillar of fire led them at night, pillar of cloud in the day. When he went up on the mountain, there was, cloud, there was smoke everywhere. Well, maybe this divine fire is a new level. The law celebrated pulling close to God, and, and the Holy Spirit celebrates this new covenant that God comes close to us and he walks with us. And it's a new way to be changed. But I want you to get that for the framework. And I want you to notice a couple of habits that are mentioned here. First off, it says they were meeting together. That was a habit they were in. And it also says there were Jews of other nations. Wasn't that lucky that there were all them other people there in town that weekend? Wasn't that just a coincidence can you hear my eyes rolling? All right. This was picked because it was a high holy day. All these people have come in from other nations. If you read on down here, I counted at least 15 different ethnicities. There might be more. I just, that's what I loosely counted. 15 different ethnic groups all coming together. They're all seeing this miracle. They're all participating. They can't say it was just one or two people because they all saw this. How many of you have ever seen the sequoia trees in California? You've probably seen pictures of them if you haven't been there. Sequoia trees, are they're a very unique tree. They only grow in one place in the world. It's in that 260-mile stretch of the Sierra Nevadas in northern California, between 5,000 feet and 7,000 feet elevation. That's the only place they can grow. And, and you know, they're massive trees. They're, uh, they can be up to 26 stories tall. Some estimate they weigh two and a half million pounds. Uh, they can be, uh, their branches can be eight foot thick. You know, they're just monstrosity. Their bark can be up to three feet thick. But what is really interesting to me about these massive trees, their roots are kind of shallow. These things can grow up to 300 feet tall, and at max, their roots are 20 feet deep. Some are only five or six feet deep. And you go, wait a minute, simple engineering would tell you that's not going to work. Well, here's the kicker. Their roots aren't deep, but they're out, and they're intertwined with all these other sequoia trees. They're all twisted up, and they all hang on to each other. That's how they can make it through strong windstorms is because they're hanging on to each other. Some of you are already getting the sermon point out of that. But there's something else about sequoia trees. They never stop growing. To the very day they are cut down, they are still growing. 
I think those are powerful lessons that this first church had. They were intertwined with each other. They held on to each other. They couldn't be pulled apart. And they kept growing. And we better get that. But I want you to look to at something else that happened in chapter 2. A mighty windstorm. Why is this windstorm important to the way? Now, look real close. And it says, this is my opinion, okay? If you don't like it, that's all right. I, I'm, not, I'm just saying what I see. It says there was the sound of a mighty windstorm. Doesn't say there was a windstorm. Just says there was a roaring sound. Now, there might have been wind. I get it. But it says there were tongues of fire on their head. Wouldn't the wind blow that out? So maybe there was wind, maybe there wasn't. I don't know. But it's interesting because it had to have gotten their attention. It did. It said they came running from everywhere to see this, to hear what was going on. Think of the imagery there. That is powerful visual imagery, isn't it? But don't miss something that happens in verse 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, it says, Suddenly there was a sound, but look at the last part. And it filled the house where they were sitting. It filled it. Friends, Pentecost is something from heaven coming down to earth. The early church made an impact. It started by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And friends, if we're going to make an impact, it has to start by following the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christ follower, Notice I didn't ask if you have accepted Christ. We talked about that earlier this year. It's more than that. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, that you have, if you have stepped out in faith and confessed him before man and, and he confesses your name before your Father in heaven, if you've been baptized in our water or somebody else's water, then according to Acts 2.38, you are filled with the Spirit. There's no negotiation. According to Acts 2.38, it has the spirit in you. Whether you have fire on your head or you speak in different tongues, you are spirit-filled. But here's a problem. I'm afraid some of us Christians don't get that. I'm afraid some of us Christians, we, we hide back in a spirit of timidity. And Paul tells us later, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you a power and of love and of self-discipline. I have given you a power. Do we believe that the Holy Spirit is among us? We've got to. We've got to live like that. We've got to walk in that. One of the lines from Mandalorian, wherever he goes, I go. That needs to be ours. Wherever the Holy Spirit goes, I go. He is with us and he is in us. And that's got to be where it starts. If we're going to make an impact on Portalis, we've got to get it in our head. We are power of the Holy Spirit. We got two amens? Really? That's the best we could get out of that statement? All right. Okay, here we go. How great is it? Uh, You know, so so let's go back. They go the, they start talking and they speak in tongues and all these people hear it in their own language. How great is it when you're somewhere and the speaker talks and, and you get it? How many of you have ever been in a class with a really good teacher and they're really cool, you know, and you get it up on the board and they're writing it all out and you're going, wait a minute, I understood that. I got the answer right. Anybody been there? Uh, okay, some of you school was a long time ago. I get it. But uh, 
Isn't that a great feeling to, to get it, you know, to really understand it? To, friends, that was the purpose of the speaking in tongues that day. It, the Tower of Babel back in the Old Testament split everybody out in tongues. This Holy Spirit drew everybody back together. It's my presence that will unify everybody. That's what he's saying there. And, and that's powerful. These people were amazed. They were perplexed, it says, and they couldn't figure it out. Because what happened at Pentecost was beyond explanation. Why is it that when something weird happens in our life, we, we want an explanation? How is it that 15 plus different ethnicities could understand it? Their answer, well, I got to be drunk. I don't know, but I, most people I know that are drunk, you can't understand them better. Uh, am I wrong? <laughs> it's usually a lot of slurring and mumbling, all right? No, we weren't drunk. Why is it that when things are weird, we want an explanation? We want to know why. Maybe faith is telling us, trust me, I got this covered. Maybe faith is trusting without complete understanding. He's calling us to have that today. And Peter's speech on the southern steps of the temple, do we understand this day is of days in history, monumental. You got creation, you got the birth of Jesus, you got the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but the coming of the Holy Spirit on the history of mankind is huge. And Peter steps up on these steps. This is a picture I took of the southern steps of the temple at, uh, in, in Jerusalem. But I want you to get this. This is weird. Those are not like the steps that Peter stood on. Those are the exact rocks that Peter stood on. And that will rattle you. When you stand there, you're like, I don't belong here. I'm not good enough to be here. That is powerful. And he spoke on those steps and he makes this case for Christ. Now, follow me down in the scripture. Jump ahead. He, he talks to the people in words they'll know. In verse 16, he says, the prophet Joel told you this was going to happen. And you all grew up with the prophets. You all know the prophets. Prophet Joel already said that. Going down to verse 25, he says, King David even talked about this. We all know David. David was the big guy. He, he, he was a big hero. And in verse 36, let everyone know that it is God that made his son. Let everyone know that, that this is real. He's saying that God is not setting back, waiting for a moment in history to step in. He's saying God runs history. God runs this. He's not this, he spun it on his finger and let the world just run till it runs out. No, it's not that. Our God is involved in our messes. He runs it. But friends, do we believe that even today? Do we realize our God is here? This needs to give us a calm assurance. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. We sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his every word. Friends, if we're going to make an impact, we have got to have that calm assurance inside of us. The Christians, the Christ followers here should not be the ones that are wringing our hands and fretting about the world and what is going to happen. And No, 
We should be the calmest and trustingest people there are. Peter was calm when he talked to these people. He wasn't berating them. And I grew up with a lot of sermons that he, you did this. You're the ones that killed him. And he really spoke in that term. But I don't hear Peter talking that way. I hear him speaking boldly. I hear him speaking and, and calling people to a response. He's saying, look, you need to understand this is what this Jesus means. And you need to follow me. You need to turn away, repent. You need to be baptized and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the way. And if you've never made that move, I'm telling you, you need to. That's huge. I'm not going to berate you over it, but you need to make that move. Because that's what being a Christ follower is about, is stepping in his way. This was never about comfort or control or how we want the church to be. These guys were never following Jesus for themselves. They were always following him for him. And I wonder if we've missed this in American church. A few months ago, I wrote an article in our weekly update uh, about, because I had seen an article about this, about the... The ways the early church died. I don't know if you remember that, but it was, it was just really shocking to me. I think a lot of us had this Americanized idea of growing old and growing up in our business and getting our money and getting our 401k and getting to a point where we can retire and watch everything happen and everything's going to be good. Just like those guys. Do you realize none of them did that? <laughs> All of them died ugly. Listen to this. Matthew that wrote the book of Matthew, he was killed by a sword in Ethiopia because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Mark was drugged to death by, by horses and chariots in Alexandria, Egypt, because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. Luke was hanged in Greece because he wouldn't stop, because he was preaching too much. Peter, many of you know the story of Peter. He was crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter actually, because of what happens in this chapter, is the one that helped to found the church in Jerusalem. And he was the leader of the church up until middle part of Acts. And he goes after the deal with Cornelius and that big blanket comes down from the sky. After that, he realizes, I got to go talk to Gentiles too. And he leaves and James becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. But James dies. He is thrown off the southeast pinnacle of the temple. The southeast pinnacle is the highest point. It's a hundred feet to ground down there. And it's the point where Satan took Jesus, when he was tempting him, he took him to that point and said, just jump off here. The angels will catch you. So they were, the people of the community were so riled up with James talking about this Jesus. They said, let's see if you really believe what he said. If you don't believe, if you don't recant, we're going to throw you off the edge of this thing. And so they threw him off. He didn't die. He was broken, obviously, hundred foot fall. So they ran down there and they beat him to death with sticks. John is the only one that died of old age. And even he didn't have a good life. He got exiled to Patmos earlier. So he was an outcast. All of these guys died ugly. Being a Christian has never been about, let's see how many, how big we can get and how many uh, cars we can have, how much we can have wealth-wise. It was never about comfort. Let's get the church the way we want it. It was always about talking about him 
And you are never going to be alone. It assures us that we'll not be alone. So the church begins with Peter speaking on these steps. And within 50 days of being crucified, Jesus' group has gone from about 12 people to about 120 people to 3,000 people. That is, I did the math, 2,500% increase in, in a month and a half. Now, now we know the 3,000 were baptized on the one day. Now, you may not do this, but I, I play logistics in my head. We have one baptistry. How long is it going to take to 3,000 of them? That's not how it happened. When you get to the Temple Mount, around the Mount, there are all of these ceremonial baths. They're called mikvahs. There's hundreds of them, if not a thousand of them. Just little tubs, just next to each other, next to each other. When, Israel, when, when uh, Israelites would come to go to the temple to ceremonially cleanse themselves, they would take their clothes off, get in one of these things, put the clothes back on and get it. So you had tons of these tubs around. So that's how they could do it. All right, I'll baptize you 10. Now you go baptize those 10. Now you go baptize. And that's how it, it happened. It multiplied huge And they call this group in Acts chapter 9, the way. But what caused it? What was the driving force in this movement? A couple of weeks ago, Brandon Hayes gave our communion meditation. And he talked about what anchored them. Look with me over in Acts chapter 2. At the end of chapter 2, look at verse 42. This is the anchor of how the church was. This is the cornerstone of how the church was founded. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. I'm in verse 43 now. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Here's where our impact has got to start. Being filled with and being devoted to the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Spirit and devoted to teaching and fellowship and meals and prayer. Their devotion changed their demeanor, how they talked to other people. It says they were filled with awe. They met together often. They shared with each other. Now note, this is not about a commune. Okay, some in the 60s got this verse and they said, oh, let's go all to get together, sell everything we have, throw all the money in the middle. No, 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 no. That's not what it's advocating. He's saying nobody is left out. It said they focused on teaching the teachings of Jesus. Well, Jesus talked a lot about marginalized people, people that were left off to the side. We're not going to let anybody get left out. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to laugh together. We're going to eat. We're going to pray together. They were a neighboring church because they made neighbors into friends. Now, we just sang it, but is the Holy Spirit really welcome here? Are we ready to beg and plead for the moving of the Holy Spirit? I am just still continually dumbfounded that the gospel was spread over thousands of miles with extraordinarily ordinary men. 
staggeringly average people. These were not literate. These were not fantastic speakers. And like I said, within 30 to 50 years, it had gone over 2,000 miles. But that's not just how it happened then. It's how it's happening now. I want you to go with me to to Bihar, India. It's in the northern part of India, a Hindu area, 94% Hindu. Most have never heard of Jesus, but I want to introduce you to two guys. The guy on the left is Anil, and the guy on the right is Hari. Anil is a school superintendent. Hari is a chicken farmer. All right, these two guys are some of the ones that had heard about Jesus. And they knew about Christ. And some people invited them to a seminar that was held by the IMB. It was International Mission Board, which I think is a Baptist organization. They were training people how to go out in the community. So they spent this whole weekend. They got them together and they said, all right, here's how we're going to do this. I want you guys to get in groups of two, get in pairs. All right. And I want you to leave this place. I want you to go out and find a village, find a village that you don't know and you don't know anybody in there. And then I just want you to walk through this village. Right? And then when somebody comes up to you, here's the line you're going to use. And they practiced this line. They recited this line, had it memorized. Here's the line. Hi, we come in the name of Jesus and we want to pray for your village. How can we pray for you? That was the line. And these two guys sitting in this seminar going, this is never going to work. But I mean, reality is nothing we ever do works. So why not? So These two guys partner together and they go find a village, a village that they'd never been to. And they start walking all the way through it. And no one even sees them there. Okay. (laughs) No one even notices them. And they get to the end of the community and they get to the end of the village. And one guy stops them and says, Hey, what are you guys doing here? So they kind of look at each other and Get the practice line. Hi, we come in the name of Jesus. We want to pray for your village. They didn't even get to the village part. The guy goes, wait, wait, stop. Did you just say Jesus? I've heard about Jesus. Do you know about this Jesus? Can you teach me about this Jesus? They look at each other and go, uh, yeah. Well, come with me. Come to my house. Wait wait a minute. Wait, come to my house. And they get, they get gets the guys in the, wait here. And he gets them some tea and he goes, I, I'm going to go get my neighbors. And he goes and runs and rounds up everybody he can find. Get in the house. And they all sit down on the floor. Okay. All right. You know this Jesus. Tell us about Jesus. We want to hear about him. And these guys are dumbfounded. They're like, that actually worked? I can't believe that. And and so they just started talking. They didn't have a Bible study. They just started talking about this is what Jesus means to me. And these are people that are steeped in Hinduism. They're very selfish. Okay, long story short, within three days, 22 people had been baptized for Jesus because these two guys said, hi, we come in the name of Jesus. And we, we want to pray for your village. And that's great. But the story doesn't end there. So three days later, they take all these 22 people that keep coming. All right, tell us more about Jesus. We'll learn. All right, so here's what we're going to do. You two, you, you 22, you're going to pair up and you're going to go find a village. And, and here's the line you're going to use. <laughs> now, you might think it's, it's not going to work, but it worked on you. So um, here's the line. Practice the line. Hi, we come in the name of Jesus. We're, we want to pray for your village. That was three years ago. Since then, there are over 350 churches started in the northern part of India. And, and we find stories that will go like this all over the place, okay? These were ordinary people just telling others about Jesus. That's, that's all it was. It wasn't some big plan. It wasn't some big format. It was just ordinary people telling others about Jesus. 
this is happening. And it needs to happen right here in Portales. It, but it won't happen until we talk about him. Not trained people, regular people. Now, I told you, for the month of October, for five Sundays, we're going to look at the first few chapters of the book of Acts. How this played out, how this worked out. And we're going to see that the church was sent out to heal and strengthen other people. And we're going to see that the church prays for other people as a body and individual. And we're going to see that the church will never be silenced by troubles. In fact, the more they press down on the church, the more it spread. And we have an opportunity in Portalis to show that love. And that is our calling. I want to revisit, before we finish up, I want to revisit that video intro that, that Wayne so expertly vo- voiced. Sounded like, you know, Darth Wayne. I, I don't know who you are, but, uh, but it's it such a great, we need a big voice. Wayne, that'll work. And says they didn't live comfortable lives and die safely with their family standing by. They didn't get into politics and influence policy. They impacted the world by selling out completely to Jesus and his teaching. The early Christ followers turned the world upside down because they took a different path. They didn't just follow status quo. They didn't do religion as usual. They became known as the way. Folks, we can do that. We can be that. If we will realize we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are commissioned to be his church. Would you pray with me as our praise team comes up? Almighty God, may we speak your name. May we speak your truth. May we talk about your son, Jesus. And may others hear us and see that we truly believe him and and are standing for him. Maybe it's our coworkers. Maybe Maybe it's somebody that our kids play soccer together. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's just somebody on the street or somebody lives next door. May we speak your name because your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. May we speak that today through Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.